Well, thank you, Peter, very much for your welcome. It's very good to be back here in Singapore and looking around this morning in, uh, to see many familiar, friendly faces and also some unfamiliar, friendly faces. It's one of the nice things about a day like this is that I think we, we know that we come together as friends, even if we don't know each other, but we know that we are here um, standing on common ground and we are here looking for the same thing. So I hope that today will be a, a time of, uh, of deepening and enrichment for each of us, each perhaps in a very different way. I'm very grateful to uh, Father John Lee and the parishioners uh, of this uh, church, our, our ladies, uh, Perpetual Sucker here, for their welcome and for making, making it possible for us to, to come together in a, a prayerful, a sacred space uh, for this uh, day, for this morning. I'd like to begin with a, a story from the Gospel of John where Jesus makes his first appearance in the Gospel. And this might be a way for us to position ourselves for the time that we are here together, uh, a way to concentrate ourselves in the presence of Christ and to see ourselves here today as part of our spiritual following, our spiritual journey, our following of Jesus our spiritual path. So just listen to this story and see how you feel included or part of it. It begins with John the Baptist standing with two of his disciples when Jesus passes by. And John points to Jesus and he says, there is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples follow Jesus. And then Jesus turns and sees them following him. And he asks them, what are you looking for? And they reply, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. And so we're told they go and see where he is staying and they spend the rest of the day with him. And then St. John ends, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. So the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are that question what are you looking for? And we might take that question to heart as we begin our time together. And it will be the question, I hope, that leads us today into a, a deeper understanding of Jesus as our teacher, as the teacher within. The story is very simple. 
And yet, like everything we find in the Gospel of John, especially, it's full of significance, full of deep meaning, every detail of it. Just as every detail of our lives, the most ordinary day, is filled with wonder, filled with significance and meaning, if we can see it. Very often we finish a day and we say, well, that was a lousy day, or that was a bad day in some way, and we don't see the meaning of our experience. But everything that happens to us is charged with the meaning of God. So this very simple story has a lot of meaning for us. We've all had John the Baptists in our lives. Think of the people who pointed out Jesus to you in the way that John the Baptist points to Jesus for his disciples. There is the Lamb of God. Who were the people in your life who pointed you in the direction of Jesus? Now, we may not know fully what Lamb of God means. It's one of the titles by which Jesus is called, and he's called by many different titles in the Gospels. So we may not know fully what that means, all the theology of it, and so on. But something attracts us, something hooks us, and we start to follow. And that following of Jesus may go on for many years until a very decisive moment happens. And that's the moment when we are aware that Jesus is aware of us. That he has turned towards us. And he sees us following him. Now that's when our relationship with Jesus really becomes a relationship. We're not just following behind him like a little poodle. We are actually in relationship with him. And any human relationship, think of your meaningful human relationships, personal relationships. There has to be a two-way mutual recognition if it is really to be called a relationship. So at a certain moment in your Christian life, you become aware that Jesus is aware of you. There is a relationship. And that is a deepening. That's a moment of deepening conversion. And I think it's the moment where our prayer also begins to dip into a deeper level. This is the moment where we begin to discover the contemplative dimension of prayer. Now this doesn't happen maybe just overnight. It may be a process that takes several years to mature. Then Jesus asks his question, what are you looking for? And in the second half of our session, I'd like to look at what it means 
to say that Jesus is our teacher, someone who teaches us by asking questions. And this is his first question. What are you looking for? A very simple question, very straightforward. It's the kind of question that isn't so easy for us to answer. Why are you here today? What are you looking for this morning? Not so easy to put into words. But it's a question that concentrates us, that makes you reflect, that makes you question yourself, your values, your way of life, how you spend your time or your money or your relationships. What, what are the real values, the real priorities of your life? So this question of Jesus is not a question that you answer once and for all. It's a question that we need to listen to every day. Now the disciples, we're told, don't give him a, a straight answer to their question. They reply with another question. They say, where are you staying? Now it's as if perhaps they know that if they knew where he was staying, then they would know what they were looking for. But they ask a disciple's question, a student's question. And the word staying here is a very rich word in the Gospel of John. It doesn't just mean, you know, what's your address? Well, give me your email address and I'll get in touch with you sometime. It's, he say, where are you staying means where are you dwelling? And later in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks about the Father dwelling in him and he dwelling in the Father and both of them coming to, to dwell, to stay in us, the disciple. So this word staying means not just where are you living, but where are you in me? Where am I in relation to you? And how does Jesus respond to this question? Well, he doesn't just um, give information he gives an invitation, a personal invitation, a very direct, simple, open invitation. Come and see. In other words, experience the answer to your question for yourself. And it is about experience that I'd like to speak today. And it's into experience that I would like to invite you to enter as we take our times of meditation uh, today. We're not just coming up with theoretical answers to these questions, but we are entering into the experience, the life-changing experience, that these questions invite us to get into. Come and see for yourself, not because of what somebody else has said to you, not because of what you've read, 
not because of what you've heard people give talks about, but what you yourself have felt and seen and experienced. That's the invitation of Jesus to a personal experience. And so we're told the disciples accept the invitation. They go and they see where he is staying. So they do enter into this experience of his presence. And then they spend the rest of the day with him. Well, the rest of their life with him. And that's the end of the story, apart from one little detail. You remember St. John said it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Well, for an Englishman, four o'clock in the afternoon has a very strong meaning. It means it's the time when we stop and have a cup of tea. I don't know if that's what St. John meant. It was tea time. But I have a, a friend who's a Zen uh, monk, a Zen abbot. And when I told him this story once, he said, the bit I like best is the last bit, four o'clock in the afternoon. He said, that's a very Zen-like detail, very specific. And I think uh, it, it does maybe mean that too, that uh, our encounter with Jesus and the unfolding of our relationship with him throughout our life is something that occurs in real time not just in the head but in real life day by day morning afternoon evening but there's another meaning to it too I think four o'clock in the afternoon was a traditional time of prayer for the early Christians the early Christian uh, communities divided the day into times of prayer morning midday early afternoon and night time and either alone or as a as a group they would stop and pray at that time at, at those times I was uh, meditating earlier this morning um, um, before sunrise and uh, out on a balcony and I heard the, uh, at least I think it was a mosque, would I have heard a mosque here? Yes. So I heard the im imams cry, uh, you know, crying out uh, early in the morning at a specific time of prayer. One of the great gifts of Muslim spirituality to us is the witness of these, of this punctuation of the day is regular sanctification of the day, making, the making time holy, uh, publicly like this. So this was also part of the practice of the early Christians. So that means that the whole of our encounter with Jesus from our infancy, as we mature, as our prayer goes deeper, as we learn what it means to be a Christian, all of this takes place in the context of prayer. So what are we looking for? Perhaps we are looking for the same thing. All people, men and women, 
Christians and Muslims and Buddhists and all religions, Buddha, young people and old people. Perhaps we're all looking for the same thing, although we describe it differently at different times of our lives. A 16-year-old will describe it differently from a 60-year-old. Maybe men and women describe it slightly differently. And certainly religions describe it differently. Although at their most contemplative and mystical level, even the different religions describe it in remarkably similar terms. What are we looking for? I hope that today we can come to a deeper experience of what we are looking for. And probably what we are all looking for is a deeper experience of God, a closer relationship with Jesus. Meditation brings us to a deeper personal relationship with Jesus for the Christian. That was a, a conviction and an insight of John Main, my own spiritual teacher, Father John Main, a Benedictine monk, who rediscovered the Christian practice and tradition of meditation and went on to teach it and to um, form a community, the worldwide community that Peter was talking about. And for him, to meditate as a Christian is to come in time to a greater depth and a more personal experience of our relationship with Jesus and an understanding of who he is. This is another question that Jesus asks us later in the Gospel. Who do you say I am? How do we answer that question? So I'd like to speak about meditation um, first of all and then we'll move into a period of meditation together. We'll have a little time to stretch and relax and then we'll meditate together for about 20 minutes in silence. And in fact, these two periods of meditation that we'll have today will be the most important part of our time together. I guarantee that you will forget what I'm going to say by the time you have dinner this evening. But I don't think you'll forget the experience of the silence that we will share in the time of meditation. Because it will be in that silence that we will actually find what we are looking for. But I'd like to speak about meditation first and describe a little bit of how I came to it myself because that might help to, by telling a story, it can help maybe you to um, understand where this might be of value to you in your life. Some of you I know have been meditating for many years now 
And so today could be a deepening of that commitment that you've made in your personal spiritual practice. Some of you may have started to meditate and then you gave up. Or you do it for a bit and then you stop and you're finding it difficult to uh, get a, a regular practice going. So I hope that today might be a, a way of sort of deepening, strengthening your, your practice. And some of you, this might be quite new, understanding, uh, or coming to this uh, understanding of the prayer of the heart. Most of us think of, of prayer originally as just being something we do in the head when we speak to God or think about God. But in meditation, we go from the head to the heart. So this is a, a new experience of prayer, a new dimension of prayer that uh, for some of you might be a discovery. But meditation is a universal spiritual path. You find it in all the great religious traditions. Sometimes Christians today are unfamiliar with their own tradition of meditation. And so they, when they hear about it, they think that meditation is an is a Eastern Oriental practice of the Oriental religions, uh, particularly Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, which has been imported sort of artificially uh, into Christianity. Well, that's a misconception about our own Christian tradition, a very sad misconception. We are undervaluing our own tradition very greatly by thinking that we don't have this mystical and contemplative uh, tradition. Another misconception that people often have about meditation is uh, that it's selfish. And they think, you know, following Jesus, being religious means doing good for other people. And I, it's selfish of me just to sit here quietly, contemplating my navel, looking for peace in myself. Look at the world. The world isn't at peace. I should be doing something, not just sitting here looking after my own spiritual life. Well, we'll come back to that objection later, but just ask yourself, how will there ever be peace in the world unless people are at peace with themselves? How can the negotiators in the Middle East or in Afghanistan or in Northern Ireland go into their meetings and expect to produce peaceful, lasting peace, peaceful settlements? unless they know what peace is in their own hearts. All the conflicts in the world from our own, you know, private domestic conflicts when you have a fight with your family to the bombing of the World Trade Center. All conflict in the world comes out from the conflicts within our own hearts. So Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, but we can't make and we can't give what we don't have. So we are either part of the problem, 
violent and angry and unpeaceful people, or we are part of the solution, peaceful people who make peace. And meditation is a way of peace. There's, finally, there's a, there's a third misconception that it's worth um, confronting about meditation that people often, uh, Christians often have, and that is that it's dangerous. That sometimes they'll say, you know, if you meditate and you quieten yourself down and you quieten your mind, then the devil's going to come in. I never understand that objection in the light of the Gospel, and I must say, if we believe that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, we believe that the prayer of Jesus is inside of us. But I think uh, I, there's a way of understanding that fear because when you do start to meditate, you might find that some of your anger, some of your conflicts will come to the surface. But it's much more that the devil is coming out of you than the devil is coming into you. Anyway, these are some of the misconceptions about meditation that, that people sometimes have. But a little bit of experience usually clears your thinking and clears, your, clears those misconceptions out of the way. If you actually sit and do it, then uh, you understand what it really means. That's why the best way to learn to meditate is to do it. And you, we'll, we'll learn much more in the two periods of meditation we'll have today than in all the words that I use. As I said, it is a universal spiritual path. And later I'd like to come back to the power the potential of meditation for revealing the common ground that exists between human beings of all types, of all faiths, of all cultures. The common ground that we have as human beings. And the great power of meditation to reveal that common ground.